Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everyone. Before we get started with today's episode of the Hockey PDOcast, I quickly wanted to tell you all about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle is created to give everyone the boost they need, whether it is taking your already existing podcast to the next level, or if you're someone who has always wanted to host a podcast but just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, such as myself, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms where you typically get your podcasts. And the best part is, you get all those perks for only $15 a month. It's the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup without any of that other good stuff. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance to the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. That's bwhustle.com slash join. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Hockey PDOcast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy Jesse Marshall. Jesse, what's going on, man? Oh, good to be back. Appreciate the invite as always. I, I feel like um, you know, you're a new man. You've got a bit of a pep to your step. You're you're someone who's not spending every day covering Jack Johnson playing for the team you're writing about. So I feel like you uh you're like in the best shape of your life this season just yeah. because you've you've got a you've got a new lease on your uh on your hockey journalism career. Much like Mario Lemieux during his comeback, I've been working out with Jay Caulfield at the Robert Morris Island Sports Center in secret at four o'clock in the morning when no one's there. I'm in the best shape of my life. I can tell. Uh, no, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's been refreshing. I think like for the most part, you know, the Penguins fans are still in like this, um, you know, I don't want to like frivolously use the phrase PTSD, but you get what I'm going for. Like, it's almost as if, you know, they have to, they haven't completely gotten over the fact that he's gone. To a division rival, no less. None. Yeah. Well, it is a lot of. Uh, I think that first Rangers meetup uh, that they had, um, 
it was just absolutely it was a pr pretty brutal night for Jack Johnson. I don't remember the exact numbers, but I mean they were pretty typical of a recent performance of him. Where, you know, it was like somewhere around 40, 35 percent of the control of the game, and uh, you know, just completely got caved in. So that was uh, you know, it was not, it was a, a really quick turnabout of uh, a fortune for Penguins fans. Yeah. It was, uh, they've come to expect it. It was nice to see it on the other side. So we're going to do the Penguins. We're going to do a deep dive with the Penguins today. And the reason why I wanted to chat is because I think on the surface you look and it's like, all right, in totality, they're 9-6-1. and one. Uh, They're coming off a pair of nice wins against the Islanders. I think, you know, they're kind of where you would have expected them to be in the preseason, just in the sense that they're competing for those sort of two to four seeds in their division right after Boston. And, and it's kind of up in the air and it, it makes sense. But then I think if you dig a little deeper or if you've been following their season more closely kind of day to day you know um what kind of a roller coaster ride it's been where beneath that 9601 record they've got a minus 5 goal differential for the season it took them until game number 13 of the year to get their first multi goal lead they're 7-1 one and 1 in one goal games i think if you put it all together I, I think if anything they're kind of lucky or at least fortunate to be where they are in terms of their position but at the same time you know, there's been a lot of stuff that's kind of either out of their control with injuries or, um, you know, the front office shakeup that we can get into where they've done a pretty commendable job still of sort of braving that roller coaster ride where it very easily could have gone off the rails pretty quickly. And I think for a lot of organizations and teams without, uh, you know, Sidney Crosby, for example, would have probably uh, similarly like just struggled and, and would have a completely different outlook on their season at this point. So uh, I kind of have a tough time evaluating these first whatever 15 16 games are theirs because on the one hand i feel like they're they've been lucky and they should be have a worse record but on the other hand i feel like it'll probably go up from here so i think those two things almost balance themselves out yeah the penguins are like uh best described as like a very delicate ecosystem where like one tiny little thing can upset the whole cart and just ruin even not even a full game dimitri we're talking like they can play a perfect 50 right? Perfect 55. But the five or that 10 that's not good is so bad that it outweighs and ruins everything that they did in those other minutes. And they have this like culture of meltdowns defensively that are of like the most grandiose manner. They're not just like little hiccups. They're stuff you'll talk about in the car on the way home and you'll give the sports talk in the town fodder for two, three, four days sometimes. Uh, they're they're monumental and they're so elementary and i don't want to make it sound like i'm like diminishing the competition because the division is obviously very tough right the penguins have had the worst of it so far they've played washington boston uh, the islanders in there i mean they haven't spent any time really against buffalo or new jersey or sort of i guess the quote-unquote basement dwellers of the division um you know and, and certainly you know the environment's tough but so much of what ails them is self-inflicted that it's you really can't help but feel like there's this competent well put together hockey team somewhere underneath there that is just like scratching on its way to get out uh it's been better because of goaltending recently you know tristan jari had an absolute nightmare to start the season uh, you know and i even would say given some of the performances individually that they've had on defense it's not even so much the injuries that really hurt them um i, I think you know some of the guys that came in chad ruedel is a name you always hear about in Pittsburgh is like a number five or six constantly just putting out these, you know, uh, very decent performances. 
Uh, it's been like Brian Dumoulin having a rough year, John Marino being lost on his offside, Chris Letang probably being their fourth or fifth best, best defenseman this season. It's just been all over the place. So I don't know that I really have all that good of a pulse on them either. They're not really remarkably outstanding in any one area, um, analytically speaking anyway. Uh, they're kind of, you know, they are what they are is a bit of like a middle-of-the-pack team right now that is solid but subject to these just absolutely chronic meltdowns. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned um, analytically how you'd evaluate them because I think when preparing for this and sort of trying to capture their season as a whole, what really sticks out is it's a bizarre kind of analytical resume they've got going where basically as you go from like the rawest shot metrics and then you start accounting for more quality in terms of like you're going from like just raw unblocked shot attempts to like stuff that makes it on the net to then high danger chances to, to expected goals they basically get worse each step along the way and it's it's it's, it's weird <laughs> to see that and, and and you see it a lot in the individual numbers for for individual performances as well where it's not it's I guess it's weird to me because it's not what I expected to see heading into the season. And I think in most cases you'd go, all right, well, 16 games out of 82, that's not really a large sample size. Let's wait till we get to the 25 game mark, maybe even the 30 game mark before we really evaluate. And then at that point, you can always make a trade and improve your team. You've got plenty of wiggle room until the deadline. But in this season, that's already 30% of the schedule or so. And if you're talking about, oh, well, there's going to be a reinforcement via trades, beyond the fact that this team has already kind of picked its roster in the sense that they don't have too many more assets or much more financial wiggle room to um, make any improvements. It's also an almost impossible task to improve your team at this point because you're if you're trading for a player, they're probably not going to be in your lineup while they're quarantining for the next, whatever, five to seven games. And then at that point, who knows where you're going to be. So I think we're going to see a lot of teams either pretty aggressive with their trades in terms of doing them now before the deadline or just kind of sitting it out and not doing anything at all this season. But I guess it's it's just strange to um, kind of combat that sort of patient approach and waiting for the sample size to even out versus having to sort of make do with these numbers at this point of the year for every team, not just the Penguins, just because um, the timeline is kind of expedited for everyone. Well, I think like that analytical analysis you gave is a perfect summation of like sort of those mini meltdowns that we were talking about earlier. Um, they can control a game, uh, but the hiccups are so bad that you know, from a quality and high danger perspective, it's it's less pretty. Um, I think it's, you know, clear cut, Dimitri, to me, like what this team really lacks. And and with Jared McK- you know, they haven't had, you know, a full complement of forwards healthy at one time. You know, right now, Jared McCann's not in. We just got Zach Aston Reese back into the lineup. Uh, so it's kind of been, especially on the bottom half of the, of the team, a bit... Um, you know, of, of a rotation of faces, but they need help on the fourth line for sure. I think they have one of the worst fourth lines in the National Hockey League, uh, which is not a great compliment to all the awesome things that Teddy Bluger, Zach Aston Reese, and Brandon Tanev are doing on a nightly basis. So they need help there. Uh, they have a glut of left-handed defensemen. So it's possible that you could make a move, uh, sacrifice depth there, and not have to give up an asset like either of your two forwards in Valdor or a pick, which you don't have a lot of to begin with. Um, and then the big question mark is the goaltending, right? Who is Tristan Jari? <laughs> I mean, is he the player that, you know, had like a 850 save percentage through the first two and a half weeks of the season? Or is he a guy that, uh, 
just put up, you know, really three in a row phenomenal performances in net and seems to have buoyed himself. Uh, is he all-star Tristan Jari from last year or second half of the season Tristan Jari? <laughs> I, you know, and that's the big question because, you know, Casey DeSmith, you know, has been fine. You would just say that Dimitri's been fine. Yep. But that's just it, right? And he is who he is. So I, I don't know if Ron Hextall is even aware of right now whether or not he needs to try to make an improvement to that position. Well, they clearly made a gamble on Jerry, and it was, I think, largely predicated on those 25 or so great games he had last year before the, the All-Star game at the start where he came out on fire. And, and listen, I get it. Like From the perspective of they basically picked Jari over Matt Murray and he comically got $25 million from the Sens and that's looking like a, a train wreck right out of the gate. And if anything, like the silver lining is that Murray's numbers have been even worse than Jari's so far. So I think Penguins fans are probably, um, you know, kind of monitoring that as well. But like when they gave him that three-year, $3.5 million investment, I believe, they clearly had high hopes for it. And so far, he's 56th out of 67 qualified goalies and goal save above expected. He's 46th in save percentage with an 892 for the year. But as you mentioned, like the last couple of performances have been really good. I, I wonder how much we should even... Um, kind of account for or, or contextualize the first couple of games because it felt like those two games right out of the gate against the Flyers where they just looked like a complete uh, mess defensively in front of him. He certainly didn't do himself any favors, but it didn't look like the team that we thought they were going to be in terms of being defensively reliable and, and having a good system in place and, and the reason why so many analytical models like them before the season. So I'm almost like throwing those first couple of showings out of the gate and obviously that adjusts the numbers quite a bit, but it it is a big question mark. At the same time, though, it's goaltending is a question mark for everyone. I'm not sure if there's anyone out there that you could add that will all of a sudden make me feel that much more confident about this Penguins team. I think the bigger, more pressing issue is they need to improve what's going on in front of them to be that team that they were when they were kind of humming last season and, and the team that we thought they could be heading into this year when they were considered to be one of the more sort of um, dominant 5-on-5 teams, especially uh, in terms of defensive metrics. Yeah, I think that uh, you're starting to see, um, you know, over the course of these last couple of games where they've started to acquire uh, and earn regulation wins, which has been a big change of pace, Dimitri. That's, I believe they had one <laughs> through the first, you know, third of the season. So I, what you've started to see is, you know, the emergence of like a Mike Matheson who, you know, sort of turned his game around. Zach Aston Reese comes back in the lineup and scores in three straight. You know, Evgeny Malkin has started to slowly but surely pick up steam. Uh, Brian Rust has kind of become the you know straw that stirs his drink a little bit. But the elements that are sort of required to get to the point that you've just referenced and to be that team that can control the game at five on at five on five and um, you know do what the Penguins have always been known to do, which is draw penalties and then convert on the power play. Uh, you know, they have to, the power play itself has even you know turned the corner recently. They have to start to get this stuff firing, because if if you know here's the thing, this is Penguins hockey in a nutshell. This is a summation of their success from 2008 to present. They're gonna make mistakes defensively. They're gonna take chances. They're gonna pinch. They're gonna do all these crazy things that you shouldn't do when you have a two goal lead, right? <laughs> Throw all the fundamentals out the window. But it doesn't matter. Because the power play usually operates at about 25%, right? They get these surprising goals from depth players on a near constant basis. Uh, their top six is usually a complete steamroller. Uh, they haven't had that. Power play has been trash. 
Uh, really, only the top line has been any good. Um, and that's been the biggest issue. So if they could just add those elements, they could get back to their nature of, you know, playing risky, high, high event hockey and being good at it. All right. You, you mentioned Malkin. Let, let's get into that here. I, I think this is going to be kind of the biggest um, talking point of today's show. The reason why I wanted to have you on was because just watching all of these games, I think Malkin's performance so far this season has been one of the most baffling individual performances for me, just watching all these games and all these teams. And especially when you combine the expectations you have for an established player like himself, um, you know, the eye test is really bad. Um, he looks, I don't know, let me put it generally, generously like out of it in the sense that there's a certain level of, of hesitation or um, indecisiveness. Like he gets the puck in the offensive zone and even on the power play, he like looks like he's going to tee one up and then all of a sudden he just stops and he kind of doesn't know what to do with it. Like almost like his video game controller disconnected. It's, it's, it's very bizarre to me. I think, it's interesting that you said he's looked better recently because I agree the numbers have been better generally when they've put Russ there instead of Kapanen. But at the same time, I thought in the last game against the Islanders, it seems like he he narrowly avoided injury when he crashed into the boards there. But I thought he kind of looked like an old man when Matt Barzal did that punch turn where he was like very, you know, technically speaking, just like stiff and upright and straight legged. And he just just kind of crumbled into the boards. Um there was a goal, I believe, that underscored there where he was like flew the zone so hard and there was a turnover. And then by the time the puck was going in the net, he was like kind of looping around at center ice. I don't I don't know, just like in terms of watching these games and, and sort of I know you have a, a working theory on what's been going wrong so far this season. But um, let's kind of unpack that a little bit here, because I think that is ultimately the biggest question for this team beyond the goaltending. It's it's clear that. You know, you know Sidney Crosby is a standard bearer and he's going to bring it every night and you kind of know what you're going to get from him. But it's clear that for this team, the ceiling kind of is way higher when Malkin's humming and when he's going. And when he's not, it's a big problem because all of a sudden it exposes sort of the depth issues in terms of scoring and, and all that. So uh, where are you at with Malkin and, and sort of you can take that any direction you want because I know it's a it's sort of a, a wide-ranging topic. Yeah, I guess... So there's a couple barometers I guess you could use to gauge, you know, more or less from you like where he's at, right? And and kind of what's going on, you know, specific to this season. Uh the biggest one for me, Dimitri, has been the line the line changes. Um really bad just this year, uh, in terms of his decision making and you know, leaving the play at times when, you know, there there's the pucks in transition. There was a, a, a turnover he had where he tried a east-west pass uh, against the Islanders Saturday, um, right at the red line that got picked off 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 a skate and came back and went in the net. Um, that was during a line change, by the way. So the defense was, you know, scrambling there. But even in his decision making to go to the bench, um, you know, I guess this, the 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 puzzling part about this is. At the early part of camp, I thought he looked thinner, bigger, maybe, you know, more ripped. Looked good in, in camp and in practice early on. And then this story matriculates out through Rob Rossi at The Athletic, where there's discussions happening about, like, how in the offseason there were no gyms available in, the, in, in Moscow, and he couldn't work out, couldn't get ice. There was nowhere for him to go. So let's pause 
because I know we're going to change and discuss this topic later. Let's bring this back when we get into the front office discussion. Because if there's like an indictment of Jim Rutherford's time in Pittsburgh and some like the disorganization that went on, one of element of it is not being able to get Ev Evgeny Malkin ice in Russia. Like, how does this happen? Right? Like, how, how do we get to this point? So is it a wind issue? You know, I mean, like I keep talking about these line changes and I'm breaking all this tape down of him making these just unconscionable decisions. And when he goes to the bench and that's becoming of a player who doesn't have his wind, right? You would think leaving a shift early or changing at an inopportune time would be symptomatic of someone who didn't work out that much. Now, like, I don't know the, the inside out of the story. I have no idea what made ice so hard to come by. We're in a pandemic. I'm sure that's got something to do with it. Uh, but I, there was, it's pretty clear to me that there wasn't a whole lot of communication between Evgeny Malkin and the Penguins. And noting that they just went out and hired somebody, literally, solely to run the hockey, not run, build a hockey operations department. Like, you don't need a better example than being, than, like, failing to get your star player ice. I, I don't, it's, that's, like, unconscionable to me. And and I know it's, maybe it's an easy out, right? But, A, I think Dimitri explains why he's gotten better over the course of the year, right? He's catching up. It's coming to him. You know, it's it comes with time. Is there a level of personal responsibility on him to do something about it? Sure. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it looks like in a pandemic any more than I understand the visa issues that Casper Kapanen had in getting over here. I mean, it's a weird world we're living in. Uh, but to me, clearly, and I, and I said this to you anecdotally, but there was a hockey coach I had at a very young age who would just absolutely shit on everybody he could if they were out of shape. And he always used to say, if you're breathing, if you're thinking about breathing, you are not thinking about playing hockey. You, you can't do both at the same time, right? So if you want to leave, we have a little convenience store in Pennsylvania, Dimitri, called Sheets, right? And they had a sandwich that you could put uh, uh, provolone sticks on. It was a chicken parm sandwich with provolone sticks. We used to eat it all the time, and he used to scream. It's fine. You can do that. Eat them. But when you suck and you're not getting ice time, don't come and ask me why, because it's because you're eating Parmesan sandwich, chicken parm sandwiches with marinara sticks on them. So, you know, you get the idea. Like, I, I get the impression just by watching. He's not 100% like not in the game right now. And it, that appears to be the reason why it's affected, I think, both zones uh, and the decision making. That's been the most puzzling part. And what it's prevented, what makes that line usually so good is the extended zone time it gets. Yep. And right now it's just been one and done. They get in, they take a shot, it goes off the glass, they regroup and try to play defense. And that's that's wash, rinse, repeat. It's been ex way too much of that. And it, it's reason why he has so little uh, to show for himself at even strength points wise. Yeah, he's looked discombobulated. You mentioned the the even strength production. So he's played 221 five on five minutes. He's got one goal and three total primary points. Um, with him on the ice, they're getting outscored 11 to eight. He's got a 37.2% high danger chance share and a 44.3 expected goal share. And I, I don't think it's a coincidence that the numbers are significantly better when he's playing with Rust and Zucker as they have recently. I think it was kind of interesting that Sullivan finally made that switch back, uh, despite how good Rust had been playing with with Gensel and, and Crosby, um, compared to the numbers that Malkins had with with Zucker and Kapanen. And I wonder, you know, you and I did a full podcast about Kasperi Kapanen after the trade this past offseason, where we were talking about the fit there and sort of what they saw in him and and how he was going to work with Crosby. 
and they've clearly been hesitant to put him with Crosby, and they finally did so recently. And I'm curious to see how that's going to work because I think, you know, especially with Malkin's issues right now, and maybe this is a bit of a mood point as the season goes along, if your theory is correct and he gets fitter and some of those decision-making issues get thrown out the window. But it feels like, like I love Kapanen's energy and his motor, but at the same time, it's such like a wild and frantic energy. And I think even on his best days, he or his line mates don't know where he's going to be on the ice. And with Malkin right now kind of struggling to uh, line up with, with his line mates and in terms of the thought process and get on the same page, it's thrown like it's only exacerbated those issues. So I, I wonder how much of that is part of it as well, because it's just so bizarre that Malkin's numbers with him have been so catastrophically bad compared to what they've been like with Rust, who he did have success with last year, albeit playing with Gensel as well. The one element to this that we we need to mention is that Jason Zucker in particular, I don't think has been very great. Yeah. Uh, not, and again, the environment being as volatile as it is, you know, that, that certainly comes into play with a piece of it. Um, but he, you know, I think what, in theory, what you get from him is, is being a little bit of like the straw that's, that, that gets in there and stirs things up on the floor check, generates some turnovers, pressures the opposition, and then you get that finishing as a bonus, right? I think for, for Zucker recently, it's been all too much looking for that finishing and not doing the other things that also add into his game and make him the package player that the Penguins went out and tried to get twice, right? So that, that, that's been hit or miss throughout the course of the season. And, and there's been things that have gone on that have, you know, he's whiffed on chances. They're, the whole team was in a scoring slump through the first week and a half. He got caught up in that. I think it affected him negatively. Uh, I will say this about Casper Kapanen. I think there were elements of his game that did help Malkin screw things together. Because Kapanen, when he gets it, he just goes one direction. There's no east-west, right? It's straight. There's right. just one option, and that's it, and it's fast. And, you know, it forced Malkin to play a certain way, I think. Um, and I mentioned to you, even against the Islanders, you know, there's an east-west play that, that caused a turnover, and he got burned on. Uh, I still think there's just too much of that. There's not enough of that, like, attack and get into the zone and establish something first. Uh, that has been what we've seen of Kapanen with uh, Gensel and Crosby. And I have to eat a bit of crow on it. It's early. I know it's not story has not yet been written on this completely but uh some of it his game honestly dimitri has been like the antithesis of what i expected mm. um now he's a winger right so wingers don't have to exhibit a high level of defensive zone competence you know it's not exactly a demanding position it's more about just like are you present in a lot of nhl systems as a winger uh but he's you know there's been no deficiency there uh, and I think for the Crosby-Gensel line, you know, th th that that line will always be about those two. Yeah. They have, like, an, an ethereal connection that, that supersedes, I think, even, like, what Crosby had with, like, Hosa and Kunitz. It's just uh, they operate on a, on a, on a 4D chess type of a approach to the game. And Kapanen doesn't have to participate in that, right? Uh, you know, he gleaned a goal <laughs> does for them. Thing. Yeah, he does. And, and but if you go back, you know, early on against the first game, I believe it was against the Islanders in the series, you know, it's Kapanen that goes in there and creates the turnover that gets the puck, you know, in the hands of, of guys that, that, you know, that, that end up putting it in the net. But he's out there, you know, being the wrecking ball um, and not to mention, you know, his presence in front of in the, in the net in the offensive zone. And, you know, as you know, is proved to be pretty good. 
So I don't know what the long-term vision for this line looks like. Maybe he just is the Pascal Dupuis uh, to throw it back to Sidney Crosby. That would be great. That would work. Um, but I, you know, I think as long as he's out there, ultimately letting Gensel and Crosby run the show, um, there's a place for him up there. But I don't want to get off Malkin just yet, just because I think the reason why I'm struggling so much to um, kind of rationalize his start or or contextualize it is because, you know, I think in a vacuum, even for a historically great player, you'd say, all right, listen, he's he's turning 35 this summer. He's played. I think approximately or maybe even slightly above 1,100 combined games if you if you factor in playoffs as well in the NHL. Uh, he's accumulated a ton of injuries and missed a bunch of time, and I'm sure that has sort of taken its toll a little bit in terms of the wear and tear. But at the same time, like this is a player that last year was having a, a, just a monster season. I think his 82-game pace was 110 points. He produced at, at rates similar to his 2012 Art Ross and Hart season he carried the penguins in the 30 games that crosby missed only pasternak and mcdavid generated more points per 60 than he did so it's not like we're necessarily we're talking about a stereotypical 35 year old player that you know his best days are behind him and i think that would sort of give me optimism that that this is going to turn around above all else just because it would be so bizarre if it went just like that considering how good he was as recently as last season Sure, it'd be the first time, really, in the course of his career that it, something like that lasted for the full course of a season, right? Um, I, I think if we look at this, uh, not only from a video perspective, but also from a shot location perspective, like through HockeyViz, there's just so much of what's happening right now for that for his line and for him in particular is coming from the perimeter of the ice. There's not really any drive to the interior. There's nothing happening in front of the net. Um, the slot area is, you know, pretty desolate, and that's a great change, you know, from what you see out of the line historically. Um, you know, generally speaking, it's one that you know is down low, working it from behind to in front. Um, you know, driving to the net, creating havoc down there. Um, yeah, I, I just that, that again, if you think about this from the shot map perspective. You know, it kind of lines up with what we're seeing on the ice. You know, it's a lot of getting into the zone, um, having a solid entry, but then spending it on something that's a less than optimal chance and not really establishing any long-term zone time. Well, um, that I, that but, is an interesting theory that you mentioned there, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but I just, because I, I was thinking like, you know, usually when it, kind of the ability starts to erode for, for great players, you see the first red flags of it in shot generation rate like it's especially for guys who are, are volume shooters it's, it starts to go a little bit and and the most logical explanation is that you know they're just struggling to 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 get their shot off as much because maybe they've slowed down a little bit whether they're processing or their physical speed and and it just becomes that much tougher and his have just completely plummeted where there's just no real precedent for for the rate at which he's both attempting and getting pucks on net that he has so far this season compared to any any point of his career and, and it's just it's just so out of line with everything else and so that that would lay credence to your theory of kind of a lot of one and dones where it's tough to, to rack up those attempts multiple times and in, in a shift where you're getting rebounds and getting the puck back and cycling and retrieving and doing all that if if 
if it's just kind of one quick bad shot or something or or, or a, a pass to a player that isn't where he's supposed to be and all of a sudden you're back out the zone and you're, and you're hopping off the ice that would explain the, the shot rates a lot to me well it also explains to dimitri why brian rust plays makes that line play so much better because i and i've written about this that the elevation of brian rust's game as an individual performer who can be a play driver wherever you put him co-aligns with the micro data that says brian rust carries the puck more that the play is coming off of the stick of Brian Rust more than it used to early in his career. I think that there was there's like a a, defer, a deferential Brian Rust that existed and still played really well and scored, but had the penchant for getting called out by Mike Sullivan. And remember Jim Rutherford made the comment, some guys got paid and rested on their laurels, uh, which was a direct reference to Brian Rust playing in a slump. Um, but something clicked for him uh, a year and a half now ago where I think he realized, you know, I don't, I can make this happen myself. And it aligned with him having more carries per 60, more entries per 60, uh, more transition opportunities. Um, the passing data changed. And, and I think there's something to be said, Dimitri, when you're the, or, the orchestrator of the play, right? Because if you think about this from like the forwards perspective, if you're crossing the blue line and distributing the puck when you enter the zone, what immediately happens after that? You go and get open. Recognize employees with Custom Ink. Show customer appreciation with Custom Ink. Outfit your teams with Custom Ink. Easily add your logo to your favorite products and brands at custominc.com. Make Custom Ink your custom gear partner with great customer service, quality products, and all-in pricing, along with personalized help when you need it and an easy-to-use website when you don't. All backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Do it all today at custominc.com. Right, like you, yep. you've distributed the puck. You're no longer the play driver, and now you have the opportunity um, to do what goal scores do. And there are a lot of elements that are shared in Brian Rust and Jake Gensel in terms of they're both smaller guys who have a penchant for getting open and just finding space and being able to weave through the defense and peel off of players, and just change their momentum a little bit. And and that's what it's about, you know. I think anywhere he goes, you see this uptick. Because he's not no longer, you know, really afraid, in my opinion, to be the one that, that's doing that that conductor's work. And uh, as a driver, I think it's produced a lot of really great outcomes for him. Yeah, he was one of the players I was most curious to watch this year because I think it was understandable to be skeptical about the offensive production of a 28-year-old who had never previously gotten 20 goals or 40 points in their NHL career suddenly shooting 18% being a point per game, scoring at a 40 goal per 82 game pace. And this year it's, you know, statistically it's fascinating because he compensated for that expected shooting percentage regression. I think he's down at 10% now by simply just like shooting the puck significantly more, where I believe he's getting over one more shot on goal per game so far. But you know, visually, I've been just wildly impressed by all those things you just mentioned now in terms of his activity and, and just how often he's on the puck and how dangerous he's been. Like it, it feels like he has been their most dangerous player in terms of just like constantly finding ways to, to get open and, and just being around the puck. And, and you know, that, that clearly is a very legitimate skill. And so, you know, I, I think he's certainly transcended a uh, Buzz Flibbit and Mark Donk status and he's become his own entity because he followed up last year with, I think even taking another step in, in terms of his development. And, and so, you know, from a silver lining perspective, like he's like a, a legit player now in my mind. 
yeah, it's, and it's been a huge boost for them, you know, and a, and a team that I think has struggled to find reliable 515 production outside of, like, Teddy Bluger and Sidney Crosby, you know, and whoever's with them, you know, because it's generally, that's generally the, <laughs> been the, uh, the driver behind the bus this year. Uh, it's been a, it's been a welcome, and it's, and, and you've seen already, you know, you mentioned just a minute ago that Mike Sullivan just put him back on that Malkin unit to kind of give that unit a boost. Having a player like that is, you know, for a coach that's not afraid to use those changes, uh, is just such an asset. You know, and I think you've seen Mike Sullivan this year try a bunch of things, um, and and you know, not be afraid to to break it up. And we saw Brandon Tanev uh, on the top line uh, and then in the top six briefly against the Islanders this weekend. Uh, but I mean, overall, I mean, no, relative to you know the rest of the team. You know, Brian Rust is just flat out outperforming. He's seven percent higher relative to the rest of the team in uh, shot metrics, eight percent. You know, in terms of expected goals for, they've just been able to kind of pick them up and plop them wherever they need to to get things going. Uh, and it's been a lot of reliable minutes. Um, do you want to talk about the the, the front office and, and the shakeup and and sort of the the bigger picture, not necessarily on ice stuff, but just uh, organizationally where they're at? Yeah. Um, I don't know. What, what's a good entry point for this? Because I, I, I'm, I'm. Here's what I'm sort of most uh, intrigued by. Just like from a principal perspective, it's so bizarre to me that. Well, okay, wait. So, do we feel like the organization was legitimately blindsided by Jim Rutherford's decision to step down, or was it something that they felt like was potentially? Um, a realistic outcome at some point earlier uh legitimately blindsided i think i think a legit i think you would have considered it a legitimate outcome like six months from now yeah you know like at the end of this when it's all wrapped up and everything is said and done this season i don't think there's any any indication that it was going to happen post camp eight games into the season the day after they uh, had one of the most embarrassing losses I can remember a team having where they were actually competitive in where they had that overtime where I think it was Malkin and Latang in on a 2 0 failed to get a shot attempt on, yeah. on net and then came back down and, and scored. And it was like, you know, I guess that, that, was, that was kind of the time this was, season that they failed to score on a 2 0. Not those two players in particular, but the <laughs> Penguins have had, I want to say, three separate 2 0 or 3 1 opportunities. That have all but not, I mean they haven't even produced a shot. <laughs> it's just been mind numbing. If you told me they did all involve Kenny Malk and I would believe it because it was yeah. the perfect encapsulation of everything we just talked about in terms of struggles. But I, I agree with that. Without with no inside knowledge, it, it would just make sense to me that that they didn't see it coming because I just don't understand how you could allow someone to not only trade away your 2020 and 2021 first, but take on future financial commitments if they weren't if you didn't expect them to to see it through and kind of be our, the architect of of the entire operation like just the the decisions and, and how active they were leading up to this um leads me to believe that they did not see this coming uh organizationally because that would just be just bizarre timing no i mean you literally can't take on a greater financial commitment to mike matheson's contract like yeah. does one exist in hockey <laughs> Maybe money-wise, right? But certainly not from a term perspective. Um, I, I think that, like, what we ended up... Well, first of all, let me say this. 
What shocks me is that this discussion that we're having here together isn't happening in Pittsburgh. And really didn't. Uh, whether that be due to accessibility or candor or relationships, but the man who like quit eight games into the season, by and large, just had like a lot of thank you pieces. Like there was a lot of thank you comments that were, were coming out about it. Like I think even to the fan base, I was surprised he didn't get held to the fire a little bit more. But I think from a fan base perspective, it, like I think most fans probably felt like it was time for this. I don't, I don't get the sense that a lot of people were upset by his departure. And I think because of that, you got less vitriol out of Pittsburgh than you normally would, you know? Um, I think that exposed the Penguins for being, like, kind of disorganized a little bit. Um, you know, I think that there was... I think there were things that normal teams do, right, from a... <laughs> from a hockey ops perspective that the penguins don't do because of a lack of infrastructure. So I think when Jason Carmanos left, I don't, which wasn't really, that was Jim Rutherford's guy, right? That was his right hand. And uh, that was not his decision per se. Uh, some of his other, you know, uh, you know, Gonchar goes, you know, the, the assistant coaches are out. I think it just it became less his environment. There was a lot of discussion of he tried to trade Latang and they said, no, that don't, there's no evidence to suggest that. What I think happened was uh, this situation just kind of became untenable for him, and he you know, felt the need to leave. Um, but I'll tell you this, Dimitri. All the, the proof is in the pudding, right? And what we know for sure, without you know, not for sure, but what we believe to be true, what we've got on, on good authority, is that the Penguins tried to bring in Dale Talon last year as an advisor to the team, right? So what do Dale Talon and Brian Burke have in common? They're, they're both guys who, if you're looking for someone, for, let's forget on-ice hockey ops decision-making for a second, because both of them are awful on that, okay? If we just focus on yeah. knowing the business and building a department, either one of them are arguably two of the best you're going to get at that, right? And so the message from the Penguins for me was we need to get our house in order. We're not modern. We're not like cutting edge with hockey ops and we need somebody to build it from the ground up. Whether or not that ultimately is what pushed Jim Rutherford out, I don't know. But I, what I can tell you is I think ultimately Jim Rutherford's reticence to participate in any of that or his, you know, I guess uh, lack of uh, uh, enthusiasm around some of the administrative aspects of the position probably is what caused that, that, that uh, divorce. And one of the reasons why the Penguins were looking for someone to build it as recently as a year ago. Yeah, well, there's a lot of NHL organizations that are behind the times in terms of uh, how cutting edge their, their tactics are and, and the departments they're building. But I, I just thought it, it was bizarre because, you know, the the most well-run organizations are the ones where everyone is in lockstep, where the person acquiring the players, which is typically the GM, is aligned and in sync and shares the same vision and the plan as the coach in terms of how the coach ideally wants to run their team, the personnel they need, putting them in a position to succeed. And you need to kind of ensure that the coach you have is going to actually use the players the way the person acquiring them intends in terms of when they're constructing their team, right? And and so for me, I remember when we were speaking in the offseason, don't you think it was a lot of decisions were like, hmm, this doesn't necessarily seem like the most Mike Sullivan approved 
personnel in the sense that it was never necessarily about skating super fast as a team. It was much more so about being really smart and and playing fast and having like really high level processing speed in terms of thinking the game. And so that always kind of struck me as sort of, um, you know, not bizarre, but, but kind of, um, not in sync with one another in terms of what we'd expect from this team and sort of the players they were targeting. Well, it's kind of like saying, Dimitri, that Tampa Bay's identity was more in line with what Blake Coleman was doing and not Braden Point, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like looking at that Tampa team and saying, well, they got tough. That's what did it. Um, you know, it's Brian Burke is the one that just said that. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, Mike Sullivan is the wild card in all of this, right? Because the timeline of events here is the Penguins go to Brian Burke bring him in as an advisor to the general manager search, right? So he's now participating in the process. They hire Ron Hextall, and then they say to Brian Burke, hey, why don't you just stick around and build this sucker out from the ground up? So you, so for that part in particular, you kind of get the sense that like everybody's on the same page, right? Because I can't imagine a scenario as wild as Brian Burke can be <laughs> where he's going to like step on the toes of the guy he hired, right? Like... That's not serving in anybody's best interests. And to be fair, in just a brief period of time he's been here, we don't get the sense that like he's poking around like every you know blah, blah. like it's very much just normal day to day stuff. So I think where you question now is like how does Mike Sullivan's philosophy or view on the game align with Ron Hextall's? Right? And the, we have to acknowledge the elephant in the room here at some point, okay, because nobody wants to do it. We have to acknowledge that, that like, this Penguins group in particular, this group of Penguins, from the time they've been together, have had a very short shelf life for coaches. And it probably would be shorter on average if Ray Shero hadn't tied himself to Dan Bilesma's boat and had them both sunk at the same time, right? Yep. And, and that's, that's what caused Ray Shero's departure, was the fact that he didn't let go of Dan Bilesma. So... I don't know why that is. I'm not saying it's an indictment of the Penguins. I'm not saying it's it's something that's bad. Maybe it's the nature of the beast. But is Mike Sullivan at that point? I don't know, right? Like, I have no idea. Does Ron Hextall know? I, I, I think, like, this is the one part of, like, your process flow that you laid out that is, like, a giant question mark. It, it, I mean, I think it's... I think Mike Sullivan, even, um, you know, this year, I think you've seen, like, a... A more measured version of him you know there's been times where he's called timeouts and done like mike sullivan stuff uh but i i think even my you know like you i you hope he's not even feeling that you know and he could just be comfortable and do what he wants to do but i mean I imagine in his situation you know you're kind of like you've got that odd man out feeling and and you know every all the familiarity you kind of had is kaput yeah i guess i'm kind of interested in, in in the general timeline and sort of the what the overarching plan would be both in terms of the, you know, the new GM and, and president of hockey ops that came in. And, and I guess you could kind of factor the coach into loop them him in as well, but like, it's pretty clear, you know, we had this conversation about Malkin. They're going to reach a really interesting position here where after next season, uh, next off season, he's going to be up for a new deal. He'll be 36 years old. He's gonna be a, a, it's going to be a tricky spot for them in terms of figuring out how much he has left in the tank and considering how much he's meant to the organization. Similarly with Chris Letang, you know, your, your Crosby is still great. And I think we'd both agree that he's going to age 
very gracefully because the subtleties of his game lend themselves well to to him just picking his spots and kind of getting the most out of the people he's playing with and i think that's gonna thrive very nicely over the next handful of years but just in terms of the plan and sort of how much i think they for the most part box themselves in with this group where um you know there was one thing you would say about jim rutherford all the time when we talk it was okay he's willing to acknowledge his mistakes he's willing to make a bunch of moves and and kind of stay active and if you're sort of mapping out the blueprint for how this team not just for the rest of this season but heading into next year and beyond kind of improves and and gets better and maybe creates another window to compete and not just you know make the playoffs and bow out uh you know meekly in, in round one i'm really curious what that looks like ultimately and if there is a plan there in place in terms of what the pitch was when they were doing the interviewing process because that would be the the biggest question I'd have if I was owning this team and trying to hire someone or enable someone to run it. Well, I guess the encouraging thing, if you're a Penguins fan and you're thinking about this, like what is the organization looking for in a hire, right? Like what do we know about the group of, of guys that were involved in this? So like we know Mike Fuda is like a prospect guru right (laughs) like you know look at what he did with the kings we can kind of say the same thing about ron hextall to some extent like a guy who has generally managed assets well in that regard so i guess like you get the sense that they are looking for someone that can make the most out of the you know the bad situation that is their draft pick uh, you know cupboard um it was a big knock to the penguins prospect pool when sam poland didn't make the world junior team but that are like was a reality check like how good of a prospect do you have here like is 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 this player as good as you think he is um and now like you know obviously he's playing with nathan legary like in valdor like they're together they've been great but it's just a reminder i think of like how tenuous of a situation this is and and i think what surprises me about penguins fans is the level of no craps given they've thrown to the post like Crosby Malkin era, you know? And it's like, you have to, I, and I look at the Rangers, you know, the Rangers aren't perfect. They've made some dumb decisions. You know, we just talked about Jack Johnson and they got lucky, right? I mean, you have to get the lottery ball to fall your way, right? But th- they also made some like really good business decisions that enabled their pivot to be much faster, yeah. right? Like it was a lot quicker than it, than it could have been. And I think I would use that as a reminder to Penguins fans because a lot of this, Dimitri, is like, you know, Mike Matheson signed at 4.8 mil through 2025-2026. Brandon Tenev on 3.5 million through 2024-2025. Like these are contracts that turn you from the New York Rangers into something much worse, right? That, that prevent you from making that quick pivot. And it just seems like... Uh, you know, that win now at all costs mentality is still very much alive in the city. Which it should be when you have Sidney Crosby and, and, and hopefully some version of Evgeny Malkin uh, that looks better than the one we've seen so far. Um, you kind of owe it to yourself as an organization. But at the same time, I, I don't think those are mutually exclusive ideas. Like, I think there's a way to build a team well that is sustainable yeah, and looks ahead. Without trading a first round pick for Casper Kapanen. Well, not only right, that, like but taking can, on his contract, yeah. which limits you to add another $3 million winger that could conceivably help you more if you identify a different type right. of skill set. So it's more about, I think, like a misappropriation of assets in that sense. Yeah. 
um, and finding someone that is not only going to make the most out of what they do have, but uh, isn't going to overpay, um, you know, for situations that, uh, you know, that's been always, that's sort of been always the, that was always the Jim Rutherford line, Demetrius, like, well, you got to pay a price to get the players you want in this market. And that's true, but like, there's paying a price and then there's paying your price, right? And if your price and your valuation is so far off the mark, like you, you, like you're not even there's no very competition here, right? Like who else was calling up Toronto and, and saying like, hey, you want our second best prospect and a first rounder for Capitan? I know your phone's ringing. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's just even if no matter what the situation may be, like going into the draft this year and taking two goalies back to back, you know, like it, it just it seemed like there was never really a, a a true grasp on like what you know what what is the value of a dollar you know in this in this environment we there was never really that sense we had that at any point yeah definitely box himself in with the mentality of identifying a player you like and then just being like i'm gonna get this player regardless of the price it's like well there's other players like it's and that that's we you know we discussed this but when people would say okay what is a 20 you know the uh, an 18 year old now that you're going to draft in the first round how much is that really going to help Sidney crosby win another stanley cup and the answer is well you can use that 18 year old to get a better player than the one you got right now that can help him more down the line so i don't know it's i'm very curious to see how they're going to approach um the rest of this season and i guess maybe more accurately next off season in terms of um, how they manage those two timelines but that's a story for another is there anything else um that we didn't get to with this team that we should touch on while we're here like i feel like we kind of hit most of the main talking points i, I, I guess so. I, I will say though like in terms of i guess i was going to end with a, a bit of a vibe check in terms of how we're feeling like i i do think that you know now that aston reese is back and you have that third line intact if dumoulin comes back and can reunite with letang it allows you know, Marino to play with betters and it allows uh, much more um, stability in terms of the combinations that you can use and, and using players the way we've already seen them succeed in the past. And so I do think there is a roadmap for this team to be the five on five team that we thought they'd be heading into the season. And I guess that would give me um, some optimism if I were a Penguins fan that it's not like the door has been completely shut on that. Yeah, I mean, 100% agree. And, and, it, and it especially makes it you know, that depth piece that you mentioned, I mean, like, I'll call out Cody Cece, you know? Like, I've been on, like, the Cody Cece redemption bandwagon all year long. But what it really is, Dimitri, and this, this is a real, like, uh, you know, I'm not, it sounds like I'm throwing shade on Gonchar and Jacques Martin and, and et cetera, but, like, they got a lot of credit for Mike Sullivan just taking players and deploying them in a very sensical fashion. You know, the story was always... Gonchar rehabilitates Jamie Alexiak. Jacques Martin rehabilitates Justin Schultz. What really happened is, like, they just played him on the third pairing. <laughs> right. And they gave him, like, basement-level minutes against easy competition, heavy offensive zone starts, you know, sensically deploying the player. And you're witnessing right now Cody Cece being sensically deployed with zero expectation on him and producing some of the most fruitful performances the Penguins have had all year. And if you don't believe me, you can look up the game score, and you'll see Cody Cece's performance January 30th in the top five of Penguin individual performances this year. That is no crap. Like, he's, it's been that good. And, I, and the reason I bring that up is because if he's keeping those minutes, 
right? And you get these guys. Brian Dumoulin comes back and and looks looks like what we've gotten used to seeing Brian Dumoulin look like, and that elevates Chris Letang's game. And you know, we I loved what I what we got out of Marino and Pedersen in the in the brief period of time that those two were together. Marcus Pedersen looked like a completely different player, just carrying the puck, confident as ever, chipping in on offense. Um, you know, there's like that. There is a roadmap here, like you said, to them being this team that can maybe not compete right with Boston, but can be clearly the second best team in the division. Uh, and you know, really, you think at this point, the only thing, like we said earlier, preventing them from doing it is a touch of bad goaltending and um, you know their own defensive issues. Yeah, they really have been. I, I think the thing that I would take from the past however many years of, of Penguins hockey is they've been the perfect sort of test case for just showing you how much um, context matters when, when it comes to taking a player and using them in a position that's um, in line with their own individual capabilities and how that can lead to to good numbers. And, and then similarly, when they've had injuries and they've had to stretch some of those players kind of beyond their limits and maybe ask them to do too much, just seeing what happens to those numbers as a result. And, and so it's, 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 kind of a perfect example of that. And I think, you know, to, to bring this thing home and to really uh, have a full circle ending here, really just how washed up was Jack Johnson that they weren't able to get those results in, in that usage. That's, that's, that's the, uh, the big question here for me. I mean, it, you know, it's just, it was so bad. And, and, and I, th- I told everybody, you know, there's like that scene in Jurassic park, you know, where the kids are like freaking out because the other parents left them, you know, and I try to like position like Mike Matheson and Cody Cece as Dr. Grant in that situation because they're just not that bad. No matter what you want to say about their contract, no matter what you want to say about their puck handling skills or their decision making, they are just not that bad. And the, the difference for the Penguins is this season is that they have been able, and this no lie, to just confidently deploy their third pairing and not have like that wounded animal that you have to hide and tuck away for a very special circumstance to bring it out so it doesn't get hurt, right? Like, that that's not a thing anymore. And now, it, it is for their fourth line, but defensively, <laughs> defensively speaking, they haven't had that problem. So I that that's just been such a change. And I can't, like, it, you know, there was, and I hate, I, you know, I, I'll point, I'll, I'm not too proud to say to me, I won the argument. At the end of the day, the internal argument in Pittsburgh about whether or not Jack Johnson was sinking the Penguins, yes, he was. And that was a problem. We could say it was a problem. The Rangers have the same problem now. Uh, it's just been passed on. This, the rhetoric in New York is the same now as it was in Pittsburgh. It hasn't changed. Intangibles, character, locker room, etc. All that stuff. Uh, for whatever reason, I don't know what it is. Um, people are just kind of inclined to to sweep it under the rug. Mike Matheson must be a... You can speak to this better, but he must be a, a video uh, guru or a video a person who who specializes in video breakdowns. It must be just such a dream because um, you're right. He actually does kind of bring stuff to the table, and and we've seen that over the past handful of games, whether it was that pass to himself off the boards, or and I think it was the most recent game with his puck carrying through the neutral zone and kind of being able to to be aggressive and create offense out of nowhere. But then you also see the the limitations in terms of in zone coverage, where he's like covering double covering uh poj's guy and kind of taking his stick completely out of the shooting lane and just allowing jordan everly to waltz to the net 
unattended and it's like, what, what is going on here? How is this a decision that an NHL defenseman is making? And you sort of run that full gamut of the pros and cons of Mike Matheson. And I guess there's the, you know, the, the ultimate story there is that there really are no uh, boring shifts when it comes to his game. It it, it really aren't. And and there was a really like, there was a circumstance that for me, like was the sort of penultimate Michael, Mike Matheson moment uh, of this year. And it was came off of his first goal um, when he was sort of floating about, you know, but the point and Crosby made a drive to him up top, uh, which is a signal for him to swap, right, and take Crosby's spot and drive in. And it was just gorgeous. Not only did he do it, but the lane he chose, the position he put himself in to receive the pass, it is, you'd think that he and Crosby had executed that play a thousand times, right? And they were just guys that had been playing together for 10 years. And that's like, I think that's the, that's the testament to what he does, you know, offensively. He really does create. And and there's some times where he carries it in and he's one on five and nothing happens and it's totally fruitless. And you're like, what just went on there? You know, but it's, it's every time he touches the puck, you're in for a treat. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. Uh, but you know, it, it's, it's, I think more recently, I think he's, he's starting to sort of pinpoint uh, what Todd Reardon is actually looking for and, and where those moments are, where within this system, it is okay to do that. And and I think the biggest problem for the Penguins has been they love to attack the puck in the defensive zone. Three, four guys sometimes, right? They want to outnumber you on the puck. But what does that do? Well, it means one guy, one player has to be responsible for the slot, right? And oftentimes, Dimitri, that guy's Mike Matheson, and it's just sometimes been really bad. So, you know, you get you get both. I mean, you get a little bit of uh, of each, uh, but I think the arrow uh, is pointing up, so to speak, to steal a phrase from Mike Tomlin. Uh, and and it's bottom it's bottom a pass in Pittsburgh, no doubt. I mean, the flash, I think he's brought to the circumstances has 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 definitely bought him some leeway in Pittsburgh. All right, well. You bought yourself some leeway here with the PDO cast uh, after another great performance. Uh, Jesse, plug some stuff. What uh, what are you working on these days? Where can people check you out? Uh, on the Athletic, uh, right now working on like a opus to Teddy Bluger um, and all of the good things he does. He's honestly one of those players that um, I think is just like a hidden gem of the National Hockey League. And I, you know, anybody that's listening to this and is going to watch the Penguins soon, I implore you uh, to spend some time and check out uh, young Teddy who's uh, holding it down on that third line for them. And is and to be frank, Demetrius, just some of the stuff he's doing, and we'll see on the video I have, is just downright obscene defensively and it's pocketing really good centers night in and night out. So It's very on brand, Jesse. Um, Thank you. Well, this was a blast. I'm glad we got to do this, and we'll have you back on sometime down the road. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, so that's going to be it for today's episode of the Hockey PDO Cast. As always, I wanted to thank all of you for listening to today's show. Uh, if you enjoyed it and you want to help us out, you can easily do so by going and leaving us a quick little rating and review. Uh, five stars go a long way towards helping us out and are greatly appreciated. A lot of you have done so already. Uh, also, if you've got the time and you're feeling up for it, you can leave a quick little note there that lets uh, potential future listeners know either why they should check out the show or what you enjoy about it. Um, so all that goes a long way towards helping us out and it's greatly appreciated. I know a lot of you have uh, gone ahead and done so already. And so thank you for doing that. And hopefully those of you that have been holding out will, uh, do so now. So, um, yeah, hopefully you enjoyed today's show. We'll be back later this week with another episode. I know we've, uh, 
kind of slowed down the pace here uh, over the past couple of weeks, but we're going to be ramping it back up and we're going to be turning out the shows. And so we did the Penguins deep dive today. Uh, we've got another deep dive coming later on this week and we're going to keep the shows coming. So thanks for listening. And here is the outro. Thank you.